The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 7, Paragraphs 5 and 6. The covenant of grace was differently administered in the time of the law and in the time of the gospel. Under the law, it was administered by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the paschal lamb, and other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews all for signifying Christ to come, which were for that time sufficient and efficacious through the operation of the Spirit to instruct and build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah, by whom they had full remission of sins and eternal salvation and is called the Old Testament. Paragraph 6 Under the Gospel, When Christ, the substance, was exhibited, the ordinances in which this covenant is dispensed are the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which, though fewer in number and administered with more simplicity and this outward glory, yet in them it is held forth in more fullness, evidence and spiritual efficacy to all nations, both Jews and Gentiles, and is called the New Testament. There are not, therefore, two covenants of grace, differing in substance, but one and the same under various dispensations. There are some things that every Christian knows, two of which are that the church was born on the day of Pentecost, and that Old Testament believers were saved by works. That's right, isn't it? We all accept that and believe that? Well, no, not quite. Although in the early days of my Christian walk, I certainly believed these things to be true, when I first read these paragraphs, they were an incredibly challenging read, and yet paragraphs which, for the first time, gave me an understanding which was tremendously enlightening. In simple terms, paragraph 5 and 6 of chapter 7 of the Westminster Confession of Faith tell us that there are not two paths of salvation, one for the Old Testament believer and one for the New Testament believer. The church, these paragraphs tell us, has existed since there has been anyone to put their faith in Christ. And God has been saving people by grace, faith and Jesus alone since the very beginning. The covenant of grace since the fall has been our only hope. Paragraph 5 begins with the bold statement, 
that the covenant of grace was differently administered in the time of the law and in the time of the gospel. This statement makes it absolutely clear that whilst the covenant of grace was differently administered in the time of law and in the time of gospel, it was actually administered just differently. Before Christ, the law was in charge as a schoolmaster to lead us to Jesus. And when Christ came, he brought fullness to all of the promises. Paul writes that in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. He states, So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. He writes in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Or in other words, says Paul, as the covenant of grace was being administered in the days when the letters were carved on stone and there was an element of glory in those days, then how much more today with the coming of Christ must the ministry of righteousness exceed it in glory? The covenant was in place and the covenant was being administered. In the Old Testament, you could say it was being administered under letters carved on stone. And now, in the New Testament, with the coming of Christ, the covenant is being administered under the ministry of the Spirit. The covenant of grace has been in force since the beginning. We see that in Genesis chapter 3 as it is preached to Satan in verse 15. The covenant of grace was in the Old Testament just as it is in the new, with the difference being in the administration of the covenant. And it is the administration of the covenant of grace in the Old Testament that paragraph 5 turns to next. It states that under the law, the covenant of grace was administered by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the paschal lamb, and other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews, all for signifying Christ to come. And so whenever we read in the Old Testament of any promise delivered to the people of God, whenever we hear the bold testimonies of the prophets, whenever we gaze upon the sacrificial system, whenever circumcision is declared, and whenever the Passover supper is observed and celebrated, what we are seeing here is the covenant of grace in effect. What we are seeing is the gospel of grace being preached to the people. Now, were all the Jewish people under the administration of the covenant of grace saved? Of course not. There would have been some who just went through the motions, who would eat the Passover supper with little or no thought. There would be others who would not listen to the prophecies or claim the promises. We know that. Any reading of the Old Testament shows us that clearly. The Jewish people were not all faithful. But there were some, there were many all throughout the story of the church in the Old Testament who were faithful, who gazed upon the promises and prophecies and sacrifices and circumcision and the Passover and all the other types and ordinances and they were looking forward 
to Christ. That is exactly what this statement means. All these ordinances, everything that we see in the Old Testament proclaiming the covenant of grace, were little sign pointers pointing to the Jesus who was still to come. Paul explains this in Romans chapter 4. He says, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, says Paul, but before he was circumcised. Or in other words, says the apostle, circumcision did not save Abraham. Circumcision did not grant Abraham righteousness. He was counted as righteous before he was circumcised. Verse 11 continues, He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. And the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Circumcision, therefore, was a sign. It was pointing to the Christ who was to come. Circumcision would remind the believing people that one day a saviour would come who would be cut off on their behalf so that they themselves would never be cut off from God. Circumcision was a little sign on the road to Jesus. And Abraham received circumcision, but before he was circumcised, he was a man of faith. And this faith was counted to him as righteousness. And Paul shows us the connections between the Old Testament signs and the New. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul tells us that as believers, we have been circumcised. But not a circumcision made with hands, but a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So just as in the Old Testament, circumcision was a very clear sign, Today, as believers, we have received Christ by faith, and by baptism, we have received our circumcision. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 that we are to cleanse out the old leaven, that we may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. No longer as believers do we put blood over our doorframes. Because Christ, our Passover lamb, has come, the true Passover lamb, the one who comes to take away the sin of the world, and through faith in him, then the old has gone and the new has come. In the Old Testament, promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the Paschal lamb, and other types and ordinances were given to the people of the Jews to foresignify that Christ was on his way. And as we see these things displayed in our reading of the Old Testament, we are witnessing the covenant of grace being administered. These things could not save and did not save the Jewish people. Only faith in Christ could do that. And as this paragraph ends, it does so with a note of encouragement. 
Because lest we think that the Old Testament believers were somehow deficient in their faith because Christ had not yet come, that notion is dispelled. We finish this paragraph by stating that these signs, the Passover and circumcision and everything else that we have listed, were for that time sufficient and efficacious through the operation of the Spirit to instruct and build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah. This is a startling statement. That when the men and women of God gathered together in the Old Testament, they did so by faith, not by works. But circumcision and Passover and the prophets and the promises and the testimonies, all of these things were sufficient and efficacious for them to build them up and instruct them in the faith. The church is not a New Testament thing. The church gathered in the old, and when they gathered, they were instructed and built up in the faith by the operation of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, again, we believe that the Holy Spirit certainly only does things in the New Testament, but that is simply not true. If anyone is brought from death to life, it is by the operation of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who regenerates sinners and makes them willing and able to receive the gospel and to follow Christ. He did this exact same work in the Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit was the one who would work in the hearts of believers as they stood and gazed upon the sacrificial system in effect. As men and women went up to the temple to worship, the Holy Spirit was the one who would draw near and remind them of the promises and remind them that their faith was not in vain. The Holy Spirit was the one who came and grew them up in their faith as they lived their lives in ordinary ways, raising their family in faith and following the path of God. The Holy Spirit was the one who would equip them, encourage them, rebuke them, strengthen them, and he would do it by the sufficient and efficacious means of promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the Passover, and other types and ordinances delivered to the people at this time. Paul gives us a little glimpse of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of fame of faith, Paul says, These individuals all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And indeed the Lord Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, when speaking to his opponents, that your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it. And was glad. The believers in the Old Testament were men and women of faith in Christ, and all the signs that they were given were sufficient and efficacious through the operation of the Spirit to build them up in their faith. And that faith in the promised Messiah would see them having full remission of sins and eternal salvation. And this is called the Old Testament. Old Testament believers, the church in the Old Testament, were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone.
and under the covenant of grace, which was being differently administered by promises and prophecies and sacrifice and the Passover and so on, these same individuals who had put their faith in Jesus were being strengthened and built up in that faith. And in Jesus, their sins were forgiven and they had received eternal salvation. Paul says in Galatians 3 and verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. My friends, if we sit here today believing that there is a great chasm between the Old Testament God and the New, if we read the Bible and think that there is a great gap between Old Testament believers and New, they were saved by works and we by faith, then we have got it entirely wrong. The covenant of grace may have been differently administered in the Old Testament, but it was administered and the benefits of it were received then as now by faith. But as Old Testament believers looked forward to Christ and New Testament believers look back to Christ, so we can all say that Christ changed everything. Paragraph 6 outlines the administration of the covenant of grace under the gospel. When Christ had come, and here in the opening line of paragraph 6, he is called the substance. We see that same reasoning and thinking in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. There Paul says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Old Testament believers were received by faith, but the covenant of grace for them was administered in types and in shadows. Whilst they would hold on to a little lamb as they brought it for sacrifice, as we read in the book of Leviticus, that little lamb was a shadow of the Christ who was to come. And as they sat under the prophets and the priests and the kings, these very same prophets, priests and kings were types and shadows of the Christ who was to come. Christ is the substance of the covenant of grace. And so now the shadows have gone and the substance has come. And so as believers here in 2019, we no longer travel to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. We no longer take little lambs and sacrifice them on the altar. We no longer do those things that we see in, in great colour and richness in the Old Testament. For today, the church is built up by the work of the Holy Spirit through the ordinances that we have now. And paragraph 6 tells us, those ordinances are the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Jesus sums this up in Matthew 28 and verse 19. He says that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so with the substance here, the ordinances that the church has are fewer in number and administered with more simplicity, as we read here in this paragraph. And indeed, they are administered with less outward glory. If you ever read through the book of Leviticus, which speaks of how God is to be worshipped, then you will see the glory of the covenant of grace and the administration of it in the Old Testament. There were many rules and regulations. There were smells and bells and, and sounds and whistles. It was a glorious system, but it was in shadow. It was pointing forward. And so today, our ordinances are fewer in number, and they are administered with more simplicity and less outward glory. But, says this paragraph, in them, the covenant of grace is held forth in more fullness, evidence, and spiritual efficacy to all nations, both Jews and Gentiles. Old Testament and New Testament believers are saved in the same way, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But as New Testament believers sit under the word of God and watch as the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper are administered, we truly are a blessed people. No longer on Sinai, but now at Mount Zion. Paul says this in Hebrews 12. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, and now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order the things that cannot be shaken may remain. This wonderful passage shows us that today we worship not in type and shadow, but the substance has come. And in Jeremiah 31, we read the Lord speaking, This is my covenant that he says, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. In these passages, we see that when Christ, the substance, comes, things dramatically change. No longer is the law written on tablets of stone, but it is written in our hearts. And no longer do we worship at Sinai, but we worship at Zion. And as the covenant of grace goes forward, it is to all nations, both Jew and Gentile, 
as the covenant of grace was administered in the Old Testament, it was primarily to the Jews. Certainly there are individuals from outside the Jewish people who come to know saving faith in Christ, but largely, primarily, it was to the Jews. But today, as Christ the substance has come, the covenant of grace and the gospel is preached abroad to all nations, both Jew and Gentile. And it is this that Paul says in Ephesians 2. Christ himself is our peace, in verse 14, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jews and Gentiles alike who have put their faith in Christ are saved and part of the one body, the church. This is wonderful news. It is glorious news and is called the New Testament. Jesus says that to his disciples at the Last Supper in Luke 22. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The covenant of grace is not of law, but it is of faith. And so when Moses climbed the mountain and brought down the tablets of stone, he was not introducing a new way that the men and women could be saved. But that day, the covenant of works was being republished. And when the men and women in those days failed to obey fully God's law, the law was given again to drive them to Christ, and so that they would know that salvation was only possible through faith in Jesus under the terms of the covenant of grace. My friends, these things might seem overly complicated, but it is my firm belief that unless we understand covenant, then we will fail to understand the Bible. Humanity could have, but failed to keep the covenant of works. And so the covenant of grace is proclaimed in Genesis, and it applies to the Old Testament believers and to the new. The church did not begin at Pentecost, but the church is made up of all men and women who have ever trusted God, who have ever received the promises by faith and looked unto Jesus for salvation. What a story the Bible tells us. Not of two peoples under two different covenants, not of two tribes under two systems of salvation, but the story of the Bible is how the one bridegroom, Jesus, came to save his one bride, the church. Old Testament believers looked forward to Christ's coming by faith. New Testament believers look back to the cross by faith. But every single one of us looks forward to the day that he comes again, when every one of us will cry, Behold the Lamb. As always, here are some questions to help you consider what you've just heard. Question 1. How would you prove the existence of the covenant of grace in the Old Testament? Question 2. How was the covenant of grace 
administered in the Old Testament. Question 3. Did the Holy Spirit have any ministry in the Old Testament? Question 4. What do we mean when we say that Jesus is the substance of the covenant of grace? Question 5. Jesus is the substance, but the Old Testament administration of the covenant of grace is full of types and shadows. What do we mean when we speak of types and shadows? And give an example of both. And finally, how is the church strengthened today now that the substance has come? That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn, and until next time, this we confess.